to explore uh, the way hymns were sung clear back in the early 18, actually the late 1700s, early 1800s in America. There was a special hymn singing tradition. And it's actually become very popular, continued to be popular in the south of the United States and even in other places. More and more people are getting together and doing old-fashioned hymn sings out of the Sacred Harp hymnal. And uh, we're going to sing you one of those today. Uh, Sacred Harp songs are always sung a cappella without any accompaniment, just the voices and uh, people who really get into to singing these hymns will get together and sing all day long out of the Sacred Harp hymnal. And so we're going to share with you one of those hymns today. sang this wonderfully about five or six times on the way to church. Before I um, invite you to join me as we uh, 
look at the opening scripture. I just wanted to ask, did everybody get a chance to turn in the, the names when they were taking up the offering? Nobody? <laughs> okay. I see one. Well, I'll come by and pick it up in just a little bit then. I'd like you to uh, join me in uh, taking up your Bibles. We're going to Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll be reading verses 3 and 4. We're thankful to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for all the spiritual benefits that come to us from the Heavenly Father, or from the Heavenly World, because of the love of Christ. In His heart, God had already sent His Son to come down and save us from our sins, even before He created us. He wanted us to be a part of His family and stand before Him in love and without fault. Our message today is titled, What's So Important About Spirituality? This time, our brother Stan will bring us our sermon. Okay, uh, today I wanted to talk about something I, it's very, very close to my heart. I have been working for the last three years on the subject of spirituality, particularly spirituality as it relates to children and how do you actually affect uh, strong and growing and vibrant spirituality within children. It's an exciting field, very interesting and uh, challenging, to me anyway, very challenging. I'd like to have you turn with me. You've got your Bibles, I think, already open. In 2 Corinthians, if you will just flip over there just for a moment, there is a verse that captures, has always captured my attention, and perhaps it has yours too, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I love this verse. Um, Take a look at verse 17. It's a well, the verses all around here are just very, very profound. If you get a chance, look at this verse and study it and think about it sometime when you have more time later on today. And it says here in chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, verse 17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, I, I'm excited about that. I'm thrilled about that. But I just want to explore with you a little bit about what this verse is talking about. Um, this is a profound change that happens. It goes right down to the core of our being. I've even become convinced recently, well, not so recently, but for the last several, several years, that it changes our DNA. I think it thoroughly changes us. Because I think sin gets down into our DNA too. And so that's the reason why we have to have that severe change. Now, you try to find something that science can muster up that can change that. Well, interestingly enough, it can change a little bit too. You know, we, anyway, I don't want to go into that. <laughs> our heart, our core of identity is changed. New principles, new ways of being, new truths, formerly alien and hostile to us, are all changed and everything becomes new. It is such a profound change that you will not recognize yourself after the change has happened. It is such a profound change that you are an entire new being in the eyes of God. It is an amazing thing that God does to us in this thing called conversion. I like Ellen White. She plays with this uh, throughout her lifetime. A number of years ago, I wanted to find out, what 
does she say happens at the time of conversion? And so I went through and, and, and looked and see what she says, and here's what she says. She says, it's a marvelous, radical change. Faculties are sanctified and they are roused to action in new lines. Feelings, that part of the brain that pretty much controls everything that we do, the amygdala, it works so fast that it beats to the punch every day the cognitive frontal lobes which we spend so much time focusing on. They get sabotaged by the amygdala all the time. They can't keep up the speed that the amygdala can keep up. Why do we have to have such speed from the feelings? Because we sometimes don't have time to think things through. We have to act instantaneously. Like when you're driving and the deer jumps in front of you. You know, you have to go really, really fast. You can't think it all through. So God was thinking of that and designed it that way. So even the feelings are changed. Now think about that. Feelings are attached to, to history in our lives to events in our lives. We go back and we think of an event and instantaneously the feelings that were put down associated with that event are instantly, again, just as fresh and powerful as when we laid them down 50 years ago or more, right? So to think about changing the feelings, this is unbelievable change. All the meanings of our life are somehow tied to those things and they're changed. We become an entire new identity. The bent in life is turned hereditary. Oh, this was a big one. This kind of speaks to what I was saying earlier, the DNA. Hereditary and cultivated tendencies are transformed. You know, that's true. I have spent a lot of years working on just a few things. <laughs> and there's a lot more that needs to be worked on. And they have such a tight hold on me. I wish I could change those things. And God can do it in a moment. Just change us completely and make us new creatures. It's pretty powerful. The intellect is strengthened. The heart is changed or renewed. This is all words that Ellen White used. Life in accord, uh, is in accord with God's law. Longing, desire to help others comes in. Uh, motives are changed. Anyway, she goes on and on. And then she talks about the things that are brand new. Brand new stuff. New affections, new desires, new interests, new love, new mind, new will. Just think about that for a little bit. These are new. They weren't there one moment, and now they're there. And I think all of us have experienced that, haven't you? When God comes in and just profoundly changes you, you don't have to fight in some areas. Let me give you a simple example. This is so elementary, it's not worthy of this topic. <laughs> but I remember once when I was uh, in the seventh grade, I think it was, our teacher felt that he needed to talk to us about our health habits. And his, desire, his, his chosen course was to take us to a slaughterhouse. So in tow, all along comes all of these, these kids, you know, and kids are hard to get in tow anyway. We went to the slaughterhouse, and it was horrible, and it stunk. And we were up on this, this, this kind of an observation place, but it stunk so bad. And we were, they were bringing the, cow, the, the cattle, and they were stunning them, and they would fall down. You don't know, want to know all that happened, do you? And, you know, and we had to watch them just cut those cows up, those cattle up, and, and it was just absolutely horrendous. I came out of there a vegetarian. <laughs> Teacher just didn't need to do a thing. 
I was a vegetarian. And I said to the Lord, I actually had a prayer with this one. I said, Lord, because my favorite part of meat was, I'm ashamed to admit it, liver. I know. Ooh. I don't know why. I was pretty dumb. But I prayed to the Lord, take away my, my taste. Take away my taste for meat. And so you, have, you have to be really careful. God does some amazing things in answers to our prayers. He took away my taste. And with that went bako chips and a bunch of other stuff that tastes too much like meat. I can't take that stuff. If it's anywhere, if there's a little tiny piece of meat, little tiny piece of meat, I will catch it and I have to somehow throw it away because my tastes were so completely and thoroughly changed as an answer to that prayer. Now, God is an amazing God that he can do things like that and so go all the way through us and can change us in an instant. That's pretty profound, isn't it? I like that about God. Um, when you think about all of the spiritual things, there are a lot of things in my life that irritate me. And I am beginning to present those to the Lord. And I'm watching to see how long it takes to God just to take those things away. He is working faster now in my life than I think he's ever worked in all the previous years. He is doing so much. And I, didn't he say that he would cut short his work in? Well, where's the righteousness going to be? It's going to be in us, right? He's going to do some pretty profound stuff in us. And this is going to be pretty strange times when all of a sudden, one day we're one, another day we're totally different. That's a big shift. Our purposes are changed. Our pursuits are changed. Sinful thoughts are put away. Sorrow for sins committed will come into our life. The Spirit will control the mind and the heart. These are the things that Ellen White talked about, she was saying would happen at the time of uh, conversion. Conversion restores into us the spirituality that God intended each one of us to have. It's a gift. He gives us back what he designed us to have. And that, that thing that he gave us, he designed for us, was intimacy with him. And so the barriers against that intimacy are removed as a free gift. And we are allowed to enjoy and understand and walk with God and not be out of step with him because of the changes that have happened in our hearts. The time of conversion. That's pretty profound, isn't it? And God d does that beautifully. There's a Hebrew word for this. It's called shalom. You've heard of that? You know what shalom means? Yes, I guess it's like aloha. It means a lot of things. <laughs> but totality and completeness. And so shalom is like you've got all that you were meant to have. And when we have this, we have got it all. It's a gift that God gives us. Can you hear me in the back all right? Good. All right. Spirituality. Oh, and by the way, th last thing I want to say about Shalom. The high priest at the end of every day would pronounce a blessing upon the people. And he would bless them with Shalom. Shalom. Totality and completeness. Spirituality makes possible seeing things that we can't normally see. 
And that's what God wants us all. I mean, if we can't see as God sees, how can we be one with God? If we can't see what He wants in our life, how can we be one with God? If we can't know as He knows, if our thoughts and our feelings are not in tune with His, then we are not at one with God. If God is going to take us in a direction, spirituality is required, this oneness, this togetherness, this identity with God in order to go in that direction with Him. And He's got to do a lot of the big lifting to make that happen. We've got to be able to hear God and to know God. I love the story of Abraham because it tells me a lot about that. I want to talk to you just a few minutes about Abraham to try to help us get a grasp on what this is all speaking of here. Abraham obeyed God and it was accounted for him for righteousness, right? It was counted righteous. Now this word obey is shama. It means hear. Did you get it? Say it back to me. What does Shema mean? Hear. Well, then why is it translated obey? Help me out with this one. Supposed to? Supposed to? One and the same. It's not just supposed. Hearing is obeying. There is no option. If your heart is spiritually connected to God, if you're no longer in rebellion, if He owns your affections, if He owns your heart, when you hear Him, it's not that you have to somehow push yourself or prod yourself or urge yourself or somehow push yourself. When you hear, there is only one response. You obey. And it's not out of a sense of duty. It's not out of a sense of obligation. You hear and suddenly it is clear to you and so you do obey. You got it? And that's the reason why in the Hebrew, hearing and obeying, same word. Paul brings that right over into the New Testament in Romans and he uses the word hupakoi. And he says in Romans 5, 19... Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And what he is saying there is hupakoi means submissive to what one hears. That's what it means. And we are, when we are converted, Ellen White says, we simply, our whole life is lined up with God. Now, mind you, that God at the time of our initial conversion doesn't just whitewash us entirely. He gives us what we need to start this journey. And by continuing to hear, we will continue to obey. The desire to obey is there at conversion. And when He continues to speak to us, He gives us the power. That desire is there to continue to obey. In other words, obedience comes from the Lord. None of us are strong enough to think we can do it and can do it ourselves. The Pharisees thought, well, we can. We can. We're strong-minded. And a whole lot of Adventists are saying, we can. We're strong-minded. And a whole lot of other people in other churches, Baptists, we can. 
Because we're strong-minded. And God is saying, no, 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 no. It's a gift. It's a gift. And if you hear, and your heart is one with the Lord, you will desire to obey even if you don't understand a thing about what it is God's telling you to do. You will have that desire. Anyway, you remember the struggle that Jesus had with the religious leaders in his day? There was this text that I think probably rings in your mind as clearly as it does in mine, where he says, he said to them, why do you not understand what I am saying? It's in John chapter 8. It is because, and listen to what he says, it is because you cannot hear my word. They could not. That's what I was getting at in the lesson today. They simply cannot. Those stubborn Israelites in the 40 years of the wilderness wandering and all of that struggle they went through, they simply could not do what God wanted them to do. They couldn't hear it. God couldn't speak any plainer. We could understand today. Why couldn't they? The issue was their heart wasn't converted. They, we all need this conversion in order to, so that when God does speak, there is this automatic built-in desire, longing to obey. There's not the resistance. There is this longing. Conversion is what we need. That's what we really need. You cannot hear my word. And then he goes on and says, You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. You see, it's either one way or the other. Whoever we are converted to, Satan or the Lord, there is this built-in desire to do whoever we serve. That's the way it works. He who is of God hears the words of God, and for this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. John 8, verses 43 and onward. The prophet Isaiah said something really important to, that I, I love because I, it teaches me and it's, it's reaffirmed in my life so many times. Isaiah, like all of the prophets, were given very, very difficult tasks to do. Right? Is living a Christian life a difficult thing to do? Is that a trick question? Is it a difficult thing to do? Well, it was for the prophets. It was a difficult thing. In fact, it was so difficult that some of them actually, listen to this, had the audacity in verbal language, to legal language, to actually bring God up on charges. They thought that he was way overboard in what he was asking them to do. Wow. Come, let us reason together, God says. They were taking advantage of that. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3 says, Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul might live. Isn't that a powerful statement Isaiah says there? And so sometimes I have found myself living in kind of like two worlds. I am converted. I have made a decision. The Lord has brought me to the foot of the cross and I am in the habit of dying daily. And oh, that's a lot of dying to do every day, <laughs> you know. But every once in a while, I have a little difficulty 
because he brings something to me that's really hard and I can't figure out why are you doing this? Are you even in this process? Are you paying attention here, Lord? Do you know what's going on? And Isaiah's answer to those kind of dilemmas is just put that ear as close as close as you close as you can to God and get really close. And recently, in my wife and I, our, our, our joint experience, we have learned that God, one of the first things He shows us when we are questioning and we are inclining, He opens our eyes to see Jesus. That's like the star evidence. He did that to me years and years. I may have told you this, how my wife and I would battle and we would sleep on this great big bed and I would be on one edge going that way, looking that way. She's on this edge, away on the other end, looking that way. And you could put a whole family in between there. You know, very difficult. You guys have never done a thing like that, I know. But we did that for years. And it was so painful on Friday night, I knew I couldn't preach the next day. God had me over the barrel every Friday night. And so, you know, and he would always show me Jesus. And I couldn't see Jesus doing what I was doing. And I said, Lord, can't you just show yourself to her once in a while? Why do you always have to show yourself to me? She needs to see you. I would really like it if she would just once turn over and say, I'm sorry first. No way. The pictures, the videos were always on that side of the bed where I was at. And I just, you know, I broke because I had already decided that I wanted Jesus more than anything else. And so if he's going to show me something that even is very painful and difficult, uh, I'm going to turn and I'm going to look. And in recent years, my wife and I, have found out that any sacrifice that we're called upon to bear, when you put that up next to Jesus, it just really fades in the level of difficulty. It really fades. And, but that is not the really rich territory that you get when you think about Jesus in this area. This is the climbing the ear, you know, getting close like Isaiah says. Because we are learning how Jesus felt in the salvation of mankind. And so instead of arguing in our defense and saying, Lord, I don't deserve this, we're saying, Lord, look what you did. And oh my goodness, look what you really did. And I'm falling in love with him in ways that I never had. And my heart is being changed faster than it ever has. As I have now learning in an accelerated way to surrender to God. Now, you're going to find me failing, you know, still on things like this. But I want to tell you God is working faster than He ever has in my entire life. And He's doing it this way. And this is the changing that I treasure. Living a life of faith is spirituality, is the heart of the learner, something always willing to learn. And so here's what happens. I've got to explain this to you. We got to talk about this. You can stop clock. I got to talk to you about this. Ah. The first thing you have to do to maintain that spiritual connection with the Lord is to maintain the attitude of a submissive and humble learner. Because you got to realize that you don't know and I don't know two things about spirituality. We were born as enemies. 
We weren't born with, you know, a native inbred spirituality in some respects. I'm going to argue that in a few minutes here. But anyway, you've got to go in as a humble learner. And that is you don't go in telling God what to do. And so often our prayers are right there telling God what to do. My wife and I have stopped praying those prayers. Are we trying to? (laughs) Stop praying those prayers. We ought to believe that God knows what He's doing and He is involved in our lives and He'll do what needs to be done. Even through things that are very difficult, He's there, He's working, He's involved, and He's going to bring out a better response than we could dream of or we could ever hope for. We've got to know that. And so we've got to come as humble learners. There again, fundamental Christians have a huge problem. When I'm picking on fundamental Christians and Adventists, I'm picking on myself. Because we come with so much knowledge. <laughs> and we think we know. <laughs> and we think that we've got the answers. And you've got to understand something, folks. You can't learn spirituality by bringing up the answers yourself. God's way beyond us. He knows what He's doing. He knows exactly what we need and how to change us. And so if you want to be spiritual, you have to be willing to hear rather than to say, well, God, it's got to fit in this size box. You know, it's got to fit right here. No, it doesn't have to fit right there. Because, you see, if, we, if God were to limit to this size box, it would have to sit on a shelf in heaven, somewhere in a dark room, where it can never be upset. And God is making us into living human beings in His own image. And that's much bigger than we can conceive. So we've got to let go of the control. We've got to let God be in charge. Faith is the ability, you remember, to move mountains, to do what is impossible. And by our very nature, everything that we have learned in this life is adversarial to God. It's true. (laughs) You know, all of the things that we think are right, somewhere along the line, they're going to have to change. Do you guys get that? God's taken us to a world where all the biology is different, where all the physics is different, where all of the spirituality is different, where all of the feelings are different, and all the thought processes are different. Totally different. And the only way we can actually comprehend and get there, get in that place, is simply to let go of being in control. Faith is adversarial to being in control. Got to let the control go. And be willing to learn. Truly I say to you, if you have faith, never doubt, even if you say to this mountain, be taken away and cast into the sea, it will be done, Jesus said. That's pretty profound, isn't it? And so he does that. Jesus will lead us into dangerous and and sometimes what appears to be foolish places. Logic and reason will war against it, but nevertheless, that's where he's taking us. I want to tell you another thing about spirituality. Dr. Jacques Duquesne from Andrews University, a Hebrew scholar. uh, Oh, he's he's very intelligent. I don't even... If you know anything about Jacques Duquesne, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, he, he describes spirituality very visually. And, and I want to tell you what he describes. 
Because I think we need this kind of picture in our mind to understand what spirituality is and where God is taking us. God formed out of the clay of the earth, the red clay of the earth. He formed the shape of Adam. He put the legs and he put the arms, he put the torso together and the head. And I don't know how he got the hair in there and all the rest of the stuff and the eyes. I don't know anything about it, but he did it all. But it was just plain a form. And then God knelt down and picked up that torso, torso of Adam, inanimate as it was. And he held it and he looked into it. And, it was, and the only thing was the image in his mind of what he was after. And so with that image in mind, he wanted someone who he can fellowship with, someone who would understand, someone who he could actually have oneness with and have true joy. The joy that my wife and I experience is beyond compare. And Adam and God were intended to have that same kind of oneness, that intimacy. And so holding Adam, he took his lips and he put it on the lips of this clay torso and he blew into those lips. What? The breath of life. That's the Spirit. And it went into Adam. And Adam suddenly came alive. And Adam knew, as he looked into the eyes of his Maker, And God knew, looking in the eyes of Adam, that they were one. Just like when that first baby comes out and you look at... I watched my son. He just held that baby and he just looked at it. He just couldn't stop looking at that baby. And they're one. They're just one. They imprint, so to speak, upon each other. And that's what spirituality is all about. Spirituality is something that God makes possible through what He does in our life. And it's just as necessary for Him to breathe it into us today. You remember the disciples in the upper room? What did Jesus do? He breathed upon them and the Holy Spirit came in. And I love what Ellen White says. Ellen White is a great, great student. She talks about what happened to Philip. And I may have mentioned this in the past. I can't remember what I say. But anyway, Philip had a constant problem with doubting. His whole connection in the life with the life of Jesus, he was doubting. This is not Thomas she's talking about. She's talking about Philip. Doubting, 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 doubting. I think it's in the chapter of uh, something about the calling or the mission, ministry of the Twelve or something like that, something about the Twelve. And my wife showed me that recently and I, I was stunned by it because she said this. She said that this doubting disciple Philip doubted all the way up until the Holy Spirit at Pentecost came into him. He was no longer a doubter. Just like what we read. Total change. How did it come about? Did Philip have to go through long struggles and arduous discipline? No. It just happened. He stopped doubting. What God wants for us, God gives to us. What God wants from us, He gives to us. And these are all His gifts. And it's spirituality. Extremely important. Living a life of faith is spirituality, is the heart of a learner. That's what is so important for us to be aware of.
I want to um, I want to share with you. I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit now because I you don't know what I'm leaving out. Oh, pulling from the wrong stack. This is what I've already said. Isn't that doubt? My goodness. Um, Ellen White says something um, very interesting here. Um, she said, children are the most susceptible to the teaching of the gospel. Their hearts are open to divine influence and strong to retain the lessons received. And that kind of affirms what the gospel says to us. Uh, Mark chapter 10, you must accept the kingdom of God as a little child accepts things or you will never enter it. Now, you can't see this. I've got a chart. On this side over here are characteristics of children. On this side over here are characteristics of adults. And I'm going to tell you now, in a very simple illustration, the difference between kids and adults. And it's a spiritual difference. Listen to this. Children are dependent. Adults are... Children live in the present. Adults live in the past and the future. Children are followers. Adults are... You can read that? Children are irresponsible. Adults are... Supposed to be. We like to think we are. Children are uncertain. Adults are... Certain. Children are inexperienced. Adults are experienced. Children are unskilled. Adults are... Children are self-centered. Adults are... Guess we can put a lot of things there. I put self-controlled. Okay. Uh, children are carefree. Adults are... They're diligent. Yeah. Well, we're talking about... Uh, children are simple-minded. Adults have discernment. Children are forgetful. Adults are dependable. Children are impulsive. Adults are thoughtful. Children are ignored. Adults are respected. Children make mistakes. Adults like to think they're faultless. Children are vulnerable. And adults are protected from being vulnerable. Do you see now why God loves to work with kids? And why kids are more spiritual often than adults are? Do you see why? Can you just tell me why? They're what? Open? Right? They're innocent. They're willing to believe. That's good. Inexperienced. That's good. That's right. So they're willing to believe. All of the things that life has taught us get in the way of our spirituality by and large. All of the things that we pride ourselves in get in the way of our spirituality. Oh, to be a child again and be out dancing, jumping up and down in nature and be absolutely excited and thrilled by what you see out there. Those children will discover something spiritual in nature. Oh, to be a child again as I once was and laying on that field of alfalfa, looking up into the sky with the, with the clouds in the air and could just imagine that God is talking to me. I'm, I don't have time to do that now. But as a kid, I did. Oh, to be a child 
where we are open to learn and have everything be challenged by what we do learn, be willing to be changed. Ellen White says something very interesting here. She says, what happens when childlikeness disappears? Would you like to hear it? She says, spirituality deadened, humility and childlike simplicity gone, a mechanical, formal profession of faith has taken the place of love and devotion. We should learn from our children. Brothers and sisters, my message today, if I could put it in a simple statement, is this. That we have got to start backing up and becoming like children. We've got to start seeing the thrill of God in every part of our life and being open to see and hear. We've got to have ears that can hear and be willing to learn something very, very different than we can ever comprehend because God is wanting to do that today, big time. God will be our teacher. He will not let us down. We will learn. And when we become spiritual, then we can think the thoughts of God and we can feel what God is feeling and know where he's going and can almost walk with him side by side. And the power and the transformation that attends someone who has that is awesome. There's few people that do that. I think of a few. Ellen White had a powerful influence. Gandhi had a powerful influence. You know, different ones down through history who have actually become childlike and have been connected to God and been transformed have become such spiritual giants. The thing about a spiritual giant is they never are uncertain about where truth is at or where God is at. There's a quietness and a surety there. It's powerful. I like this statement. <clears throat> this was a statement made by the faith of, and communities today in a study in 2001 of some 14,000 United States churches, synagogues, and mosques. And Seventh-day Adventists were in this study, and the people that conducted the study actually responded about Adventists this way. Listen to what they said. This was not us talking about ourselves, somebody else talking about based upon the way we responded the questionnaire. The activity most likely to generate growth among Adventist congregations is the congregation focusing on helping individuals develop what? A relationship with God. And helping persons deepen that relationships, that relationship. That's where it is at. Well, God said in Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as high as the heaven are the higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. So we have often thought it, you can't get there. But if you stay with the Bible, in Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we were in 2 Corinthians, now in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want to read these words to you. I hope you'll enjoy these. I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. At Pentecost, in the Garden of Eden, 
For the Spirit, listen to this, searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And what has Jesus commanded the Spirit to do? To bring all of those things to us. Bring them in. That's what it does. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually known. But we can, because God has commissioned his Holy Spirit to go to the Father, to search out the deep things, bring them right to us, and breathe those things in. And believe me, if we don't have attentive ears and an open heart and a willingness to learn and a willingness to be challenged and turned upside down, we will never know that the wind has come. We've got to allow ourselves time to be spiritual. And so what I'm going to say to you is whatever you do, if it's reading the Bible, if it's taking walks alone, if it's quiet meditation, whatever it is, take time to learn directly from God. He will teach you. Sometimes when you're driving, a thought comes in. Sometimes when you're walking. Sometimes even in church. (laughs) You know, God wants us. He will breathe upon us His Spirit. And that's what we need for change. May God help us. Send us forth from this place with Thy presence, with Thy Spirit. Breathe upon us every day and make us anew. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.